You are listening to the Acquired Empires podcast with your host, Jacob Brown. The show where we bring on industry experts and real-time practitioners to discuss the tricks of the trade around buying online businesses. And now your host, Jacob Brown. Hey there, everyone. Today we head on Corin Woodmass uh, with the FBA broker. For those unfamiliar with those terms, he runs a business brokerage around selling Amazon-based businesses. And I first heard of him on Ryan Moran's show, uh, Wine with Wyan, and he, he just knew his stuff really well. And the second thing I really wanted to dive in with him is he does a very detailed report of all of the business sales that are publicly listed and he breaks down the trends and everything like that so that is the report that we're talking about today so this was a a really fun one uh corin's a just he's a great guy and i really enjoyed having him on as a guest so hope you enjoy this one Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I have Corin Woodmass here today from the FBA broker. V's in front there, so that's important. And yeah, and he's he's been uh he's been doing the circuit for several other shows and I first saw you um on Ryan Moran's show and then have been diving into it and the reports were the one of the biggest things that like I have to have him on. The these industry reports I, I've just been, I personally just go from the hip and he's like taking it apart piece by piece with all the data. So I'm like, okay, we need to balance this out some and, and bring him on. So yeah, that's, that is the top reason why he's on today. So, uh, Corin, if I missed anything in your, in your introduction, just, uh, or if I said anything wrong, correct me now <laughs> or forever hold your piece, but yeah. I like it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on Jacob. Um, my name is Cora Woodmass. Um, thank you for the intro. I'm the founder and managing partner here at the FBA Broker. And the report you were mentioning, uh, we actually started two years ago. We're okay. the worldwide leader in market data for transactions in the Amazon product brand space. And we've been doing that, like I said, for two years now. So, yeah. Nice. And yeah, so let, let's get into, before we get into deep into that, um, what's your sort of origin story of how you got into this space? Sure. So about five and a half years ago, my wife and I left Australia and started to travel the world. And we wanted to try the um, location independent lifestyle. And while it was amazing, uh, it was fun. I met a lot of cool people. I really got bored. (laughs) And um, I'm not sure if I can swear on your show or not. I probably shouldn't. Um, I do occasionally and I I try not to. If it's not too atrocious, you know, no, no kids are listening to the business acquisition. If they are, welcome to the real world. Good luck to them. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I just remembered I should, uh, should check first. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I got bored basically. There's an X-rated version to that, but I got, I got bored basically. Mm -hmm. We're living, uh, we're buying and selling, buying, building and selling online assets, digital assets. So, um, websites, e-commerce businesses, building brands from scratch, the whole works. And so working as a private investor myself, 
um, acquiring multiple assets, running them, growing them, building from scratch and exiting. I learned a lot in that process. And at the peak of the portfolio's performance uh, before the last one Google update that wiped yeah. out about half of my income, which we can talk about later. Okay. But at the peak of that, um, we, were, we were in Berlin for the summer. My wife and I with about 50 other friends were all in Berlin for the summer, having a great time. And something was missing. I couldn't quite put my finger on it at the time. Um, but what was actually missing was uh, personal interaction. So ah. I figured out my skill set isn't actually, although I, I'm decent at some of the online marketing stuff and marketing strategy, I just, it doesn't excite me. So that's when I started moving towards deal making. And actually at the same time, while I was in Berlin, I had friends ask me to basically, how do you buy online assets, how do you value them? And then on the sell side, I had a lot of friends that were in the online space looking to exit. And they were asking me, how do you prepare your business for sale? What are investors looking for? Who's even buying these assets? Why are they buying them? And the whole thing. So I kind of got pulled into the brokerage space. I was essentially a broker for free. And then I became a broker. I, I worked at a, another brokerage first, um, got into the market that way. It was actually one of the brokers I was I was dealing with a couple, but one of the brokers I was buying through and selling through, I, I, I went to them. And then I noticed a huge trend about, this was two and a half years ago now. Okay. I noticed a massive trend on the buy side. So huge buyer demand for any brand selling via Amazon. Mm. And this is when... Uh, shortly after leaving that brokerage, I founded the FBA broker and that was born out of experience speaking to hundreds of buyers and sellers and seeing this massive demand. And the, the demand that I saw at the time was from more traditional um, investors. So okay. the, I think the reason these businesses appeal, a product brand appeals as opposed to an online affiliate site or um, or the like is that it has physical products so it's easy to get your head around if you're starting from scratch and also because it sells via most of our businesses that we sell sell predominantly or have a decent revenue channel through amazon.com or amazon themselves a lot of people have comfort with amazon because you use them all the time so it was those two things that got me into um, starting the fba broker and then shortly after starting the business starting the brokerage, I was looking at valuation tools and um, figuring out how to value a brand that sells for Amazon. And I didn't find a lot of good data in the marketplace. So we started mapping it all from scratch. And um, it was really painful. It took me about two months to put out the first, um, the first report. And it was a really fragmented market. It still is. And now, fast forward two years, we used to do a monthly report. And for the last year, we've been doing a weekly Market Watch Monday, we call it, because there's so many new listings each week, so many sales each week. Uh, just this week, as we're talking, it's the, um, what's the date today? August 20. There was four sales last week and 14 new listings. So in just a week. So there's a lot to talk about as far as multiples, how long things take to sell. And then you reached out once you saw the, the six month report that we just put out. So because we've been tracking sales now for over two years, we can do interesting comparisons to year over year growth, quarter over quarter and, and the like. So it's a lot of bogged down data <laughs> that we put out. But um, interestingly, uh, because there is so much data, the type of people that love the data 
uh, the buy side and buyers with massive budgets. So we often get private equity firms reaching out to us, investment groups. We've had companies go out and raise significant rounds of capital to acquire product brands based on partially based on the data that we put out. So it's definitely valuable. It was valuable to us when we started and now it's becoming more and more valuable. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is half the reason I have the podcast is to learn new things. Cause yeah, cause, um, that's, I've personally seen such fragmented data, like no, very few people, um, just piecing it to, you know, being in the field, you get some data, you know, just that you naturally run into, but very few people are putting it out. So I will have to start, start, I think you have a webinar today, you know, that won't be yes. too late for the podcast, but um, yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be there. So yeah, that's really cool. So let's oh, awesome. jump into those buyers, the larger buyers. What are just so other buyers could like know what the competition is and, and stuff like that. Um, what's, what's there when you say more traditional or you say larger, what do you mean by that? Sure. So I often talk in terms of list price. Okay. So under half a million dollars, there's a different type of buyer yeah. than half a million to a million, a million to five, and then five million plus. Yeah. So let's talk about the low end first. So under half a million dollars, predominantly, almost exclusively private investors, and yeah. most of them are first time investors, never sold on Amazon before, never really sold online before. Most of them have some experience with inventory or cash flow management, retailing, um, those type of more traditional businesses. So, okay. or they're a, a high paid executive and they're looking to deploy some capital and get a better return on cash than if it was sitting in the bank. And it's somewhat more interesting to buy a product brand than put money in a bank or a mutual fund or something like that, which will probably lose money anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, yeah. that's the type of buyer on that on the lower end. The good news is if you're a buyer looking at the under half a million price point right now, there is a ton of businesses for sale. There is so much opportunity. Yeah. The sell-through rate is horrible at the under half a million rate. It's about 25% of businesses will sell through that we're tracking. So out of the 240 odd businesses listed for sale right now, about 60% of them are under half a million dollars. And they're not, most of them aren't going to sell. And quite frankly, most of them shouldn't sell because they're not a business that you should buy. And okay. <laughs> half a million to a million is, there's less private investors that are willing to put down that much capital in one go. So you get longer days on market. So it takes longer for that type of business to sell. And the deal term, you can get pretty creative on the buy side here as, as the buyer. You can you can put ask for a lot of seller financing compared to the under half a million. At under half a million bucks, most of those deals are 90, 95% cash at close. In the half million to a million, the cash at close comes down a little bit, not significantly, but it comes down a little bit. So you'll often see a buyer offer less as a multiple, so just less mm -hmm. of a purchase price, plus say 75%, 80% down instead of 90.95. So you can ask the seller to take a note um, or you can get a little bit more creative with the deal structure. In the 1 million to 5 million range, this is where it's really hot on the buy side right now. So okay. the under a million is really a buyer's market. Above a million, one to five million is 
definitely a seller's market. For one, most of the businesses that we see listed, most of the brands that we're seeing listed are high quality businesses because they've taken the time to actually build the business to that level. And not every business will get above a couple of million in revenue. So typically this is a, a more defensible business maybe, um, but also something, an asset that you want to buy. But also the net margin, the net profit that this business is making is anywhere from three to half a million dollars, 300,000 to half a million dollars in free cash flow. So mm -hmm. that compounded, if you buy multiple brands, can actually move the needle from an investment funds perspective. So small, very small private equity firms um, or businesses that their whole business model is to raise capital to go acquire brands are buying in the one to five million range right now. There's a lot of them and there's often competing offers. So if you're looking in the one to five million range, you want to be a cash buyer. You mm -hmm. want to have a, a team to help you vet the deal very quickly and you want to move fast. That's the key at, that, at the buy side in the one to five million range. In the five million plus range, it's almost exclusively strategic buyers looking to vertically, horizontally integrate product brands into their category, their portfolio. Also, you've got private equity firms um, and other other firms that are looking to acquire. We've got quite a few family offices mm -hmm. that, are, that have a private equity division that are looking for deals in the two to five million plus list price range. So that's on the buy side there. You're dealing with more experienced professional um, investors and buyers at that point. Okay. And that's, that is very interesting. So, so let's, let's do a little bit um, just for, in case we have some newbies listening and list price doesn't, what sort of multiples are we looking at and what sort of just for, um, a five hundred thousand dollar business. What's the net profit looking at? If or if do four hundred thousand, so we're not right at that little break point, which makes things funny. Yeah. So um, yeah. So what's sure. or or let's say a two million dollar business in total valuation. What's mm -hmm. what's the multiples? What's the or just working back? What's the net profits for those? Yeah. Sure. So. We actually did in our six monthly report, we actually have a bunch of these. So I'm just going to pull this up. So just oh, yeah. give me two seconds so I can, uh, we've got a, here we go. So, um, okay. So the good news is under the half a million range talk, talking again from the buy side, the good news yeah. is that the list price, uh, the, the multiples that businesses are selling for actually declining. Okay. So typically you're looking at around a two, two and a half times annual net profit range okay. under half a million dollars. So that could be 50 to 200,000 in annual net profit. And you said declining, just to mm -hmm. speak to that, what's, when, what did they decline from and when did they, what sort of the time period on that decline? Cause that's, um, that's, that's some new information that I haven't heard. Um, before that they're, they're declining a little bit but yeah jump into yes. that personal question yeah thrown in yeah 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 sure so it's really the median multiple actually looks the same but what we're seeing on the completed deal side okay. is that it's it's declining quite heavily so i'll pull this up as well um we'll just go to that two million price point as well yes. and then then come circle back to that so the multiples even in the one to two million list price range are a little bit softer so year over year last year at this 
time or when we did the 2017 report to now, it was 3.4 was the average multiple. And this year it's 3.2. And okay. keep in mind, this is half year data. So yeah. once we get to the end of 2018, it'll probably wash out the same. We're actually seeing a stronger um, a stronger demand, which should push the multiples higher. Okay. But this is an average of the whole market. Okay. So a little bit softer there. So for around a 2 million list price, you'd be looking at around 600,000 in annual net profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, okay. yeah, that's, that's really interesting that it's, um, and, and that is shifted from last year. Is that, that, yep. is that what we're talking about? The shift from, okay. So that's. Yes. About the, yeah. Year over year. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and that's, yeah, I wasn't aware of that because when we closed, I've been more in the management side than on the actively pursuing side. So that was about a year ago. And so that's, that's really interesting data. So let's jump into the reasons for that. I have some theories on the reasons from that, but I'm interested hearing from uh, you where the, where the, the more of the demand from one to $5 million, is that a newer demand? Um, Yes, is that grown? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, and in October last year, I gave a, a talk in Bangkok at a, okay. an annual conference. We go to a business conference and I was talking about the one to 5 million range being somewhat of a black hole yes. because back then there was the, the market was quite different. So in the U S you can use SBA backed loans to, mm-hmm. um, to help you acquire businesses. It's set up to help, um, the small business economy basically and the lender has 80 percent of their lending backed by the government so if you default on the loan the government will pay which is kind of great and it's great for the lender it's not so great for the the borrower but the the rates are pretty decent on that as well mm-hmm. in the six to seven percent range amortized over 10 years so on the acquisition side, that makes a lot of sense to use an SBA loan. However, most online businesses won't qualify for an SBA loan for a number of reasons. And the, the clients that we have about, I'd say probably 10, 15% of people would actually qualify. And the reason for that is a number of the owners are offshore and mm-hmm. also they have mixed mixed books so there's not clean books right they're running multiple businesses through one entity that's that's the main reason it needs to be paying taxes needs clean books a couple of years of taxes in the u.s paid to actually qualify so that was the market back then but what we're seeing now is these firms coming in with really experienced capital partners doing these deals so they're they're raising 10 to hundreds of millions of dollars just by product brands and they're coming in with predominantly cash. They also have their own lines of credit. So they may have co-investors. They may have other debt facilities that the average investor just won't have access to because they're more a professional outfit. Interesting. So that's what's driving it is more, more cash flowing into the market. And we're, so just to, uh, maybe some more tangible examples, what were these people doing three years ago that are now flowing into that market? Like what's, what's the profile of them specific or general as you can get? It's, it's just interesting that the, the arguments against the one to $5 million businesses is they're not big enough to bring in management. What I've heard arguments, I think that's a little bit of a very corporate uh, thinking. Um, but yeah, so where, where are these people coming from and what's, why is this 
why are they going there? Is it just because it's they sort of caught on that it's a good deal, or what? What's your take on it? Sure. So there's the range of people coming in and groups coming in to do this are pretty vast. I'd say that the number one way for corporate, um, I was going to say corporate America, but any corporate corporation to grow is yeah. by acquisition. Once you really want to hit strides in in acquiring revenue, so. It, it makes sense to start from a higher point. So if you're starting with two, three million in revenue and you buy 10 of these, that's quite a decent amount of revenue as mm-hmm. opposed to buying the smaller, oh. smaller deals. Yeah. Also the, the multiples these businesses are trading for are still very low compared to a traditional business. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that is bringing most people in. As far as backgrounds, there's usually teams of people getting together to do this. So one person will be analyzing the market and saying, mm-hmm. okay, here's the multiples, here's how many transactions. This is a universe of sellers. There's a report put out saying that over, I think it's 20,000 market um, third-party sellers on Amazon are making over a million in revenue. So that's quite a big universe of of acquisition targets and if they're all trading for two to three times free cash flow that's a really interesting proposition if you can come in and scale those up most of them are looking to do a multiple arbitrage play so they're looking to go from say a 3x multiple of buy side so buying at 3x if you put 10 5 10 of these together and scale up to say 5 million in EBITDA or 10 then your multiple really shifts. And that's when you get the real private equity money that, you know, in the middle market range, middle markets, really anything 50 million plus mm-hmm. lower middle markets, five to 50 million. Mm-hmm. So if you can buy something in the main street, which is below five or 5 million range, and then bundle some of these up and get to that 50 million enterprise value range or close to it or above, that's where there's a there's a massive problem in the metal market. You may have read about this. I'm not sure how much you. Uh, I'm I'm a deal geek, so I read all this stuff all the time. And there's a, a shortage of deals, mm-hmm. so these private equity firms are actually outbidding each other, pushing the prices higher and higher on all sorts of assets because there's more capital in the market than there is mm-hmm. good deals. Yeah, and so just to just to be clear and just to make sure I didn't miss any, that sounds like. They're taking these one to five million dollar businesses and rolling them up to get over uh, twenty million dollars or ten million dollars in uh, total valuation, and that that bumps it up. And what what sort of multiples? Once you break that ceiling, what sort of multiples are you looking at for that? Because I think that's you know that's just crazy that you can just do that. Just add these, and I'm I'm assuming because they're FBA businesses, they lend each other to rolling up even better because a lot of the management and a lot of oversee. Um, but yeah, so if I over assumed something, jump in on there or confirm or yeah. yeah so, sure. so yeah. So what are the multiples and sure. do FBA businesses lend to be rolled up better than other ones? That's, that's my two questions. Sure. So I'll go with the second one first. Okay. So I think there are more synergies. If you were to say start a fund for online businesses in general and throw in some e-commerce, some SaaS businesses, some affiliate 
businesses, there's not really going to be much synergy there. Yeah. With a product-based, inventory-based business, if you're buying brands and you're sourcing everything from China, let's say, maybe you can get some efficiencies there. If you can have, if you have someone on the team with experience or you send someone over there, partner with someone, however it is, you can get efficiencies on your buy side by having more volume coming through. Maybe you're looking at the similar categories or something, just sports and outdoor, and then you go find a sports um, manufacturer that you, you want to work with, right? That's one example. So on the, on the buy side, you can reduce cost. And then you get efficiencies with cross promotions and things. If you have similar databases, similar demographics, you can expand the business that way. If you roll all of this into one Amazon account, that Amazon account gets larger, can become more valuable. Not everyone's doing that, by the way, just as a side point. Really? So yes, um, if, you're, if you're looking to roll up, you'd probably want to do similar business models. Yes. And, and sim I've seen both ways. So I've got one group uh, in Europe that's looking to do three categories are their targets i've got mm -hmm. others that are looking to do as many categories as possible to get get some defensibility okay or some strength by diversification that way instead of going deep so there's groups doing both approaches i don't know which is better than the other um, okay. so yeah it depends and then others that are also looking to acquire products that have proven themselves on Amazon. So they've, mm -hmm. they've solved a problem for a demographic and then they can take those products into say retail or the like, and they'll, they'll put them into their distribution channel. Mm. But specifically what we're talking about here is, is roll up. So let's keep on that, that mm -hmm. side of the, the coin. So you're just acquiring brands to go from a three X to what is the question? What's yes. the upper level multiple? So most of these firms are looking to go from, maybe they're acquiring a few million dollar brands. So they're going from one to two to three million in revenue per brand mm -hmm. to a, a bigger target. Most of them are aiming for a hundred million in revenue because that's okay. where it's really going to move the needle. And if they have a centralized management for all of these, this is key. Mm -hmm. You want centralized management. You want a team running it. You will be working off a multiple of EBITDA at this mm -hmm. range. So everything's um, as is and the management team will, um, the owners will leave, but the management team will probably stay on. If that's the case, that, that brand, that group or conglomerate, we'll call it a mini conglomerate, mm -hmm. uh, would trade anywhere from five to nine times EBITDA. It depends on a lot of things. But yeah. right now what we're seeing is if it was Amazon only, it's probably going to trade anywhere from maybe six to eight is probably the range that you'd be looking at. So a very decent exit. <laughs> yeah, just doubling. And I'm, I'm assuming this is done in a under a three year time period, this roll up. And that's just a, I'm just, is that correct? That's what I've seen from those large so far is that it, what what sort of time frame do they do some of these accomplish this by that's what they're shooting for mm -hmm. i haven't seen anyone complete that yet ah. at the 100 million range okay so not not that i've dealt with personally i know a lot of people doing this but mm -hmm. a lot of them are quite a ways from that 100 million revenue target <laughs> okay so i've I might have heard a bit of talk. Um, so that makes sense. Um, that's really interesting. Before we go too far down that rabbit hole, 
Um, I have a few sort of regarding Amazon businesses in particular, and you talked about ver diversifying and also integrating into other sales channels or other distribution channels. I've heard that um, on, on long, those lines, how does somebody sort of, I don't want to tread on your toes. It's just, in my opinion, Amazon alone is got the, the single platform risk. So that's, that's why I'm always hesitant to it. So this is your whole business and I don't want to be rude, but how do you, how do you protect yourself against that? Like what are the ways that you've seen your customers do it or your clients do it? Sure. So I guess that's, there's a couple ways to answer that. Okay. The, the major shift for us when we started out to get cut through basically in the, in the brokerage market was to focus only on Amazon and FBA mm -hmm. businesses selling via FBA fulfillment by Amazon. Um, what we're actually moving more into now is dealing with founders product brands that okay. have, have a legitimate product that's solving wow. a problem for a customer that they, they build these products out around demographic and you know our mutual friend ryan moran mm -hmm. he te teaches a lot of this stuff right yep. so they're the type of brands that we are seeing become more valuable in the marketplace okay. as buyers see more deals they'll get more and more picky about what to buy and you know back when we started there was two years ago there was literally buyers saying to me i'll buy anything that sells via amazon they didn't care what it was. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't, doesn't sustain itself. So if, if you do have a product brand that's solving a problem for a customer, your, your brand is very tight around that demographic, even if your income is majority Amazon based, because mm -hmm. it is quite tough to compete with the, yeah. the sales engine that Amazon is, right? If, if that's what you're looking to acquire as the acquirer, you can pay a lower multiple because of the risk, but then you can look to take that outside of Amazon. And that's, that's really the opportunity here is to, you buy at the multiple of, of risk that you're willing to take and also what the market will bear. You can pretty much do any deal you want as long as you can get the seller to, to agree to it, right? Which is yeah. half the challenge. And then you really, to, um, there's two parts. So one is taking it outside of Amazon. The other is having some experience okay. with Amazon, ranking on Amazon, understanding the algorithm, been through a few ups and downs that will help as well to mm -hmm. reduce the amount of risk you personally are taking on. So I would hesitate suggesting someone going from scratch to buying into okay. an Amazon only business if it's not a tight brand. So you'd, you want to stack the chips in your favor. Okay. So definitely get some experience with Amazon, have partner with someone who has experience on Amazon, get that strength on your team, do some courses, try some stuff and, and then get going. Right? Don't, don't go from scratch on this unless you're just playing around with, with acquiring. And we see this often under the hundred thousand dollar mark. Yeah. See a lot of um, buyers just coming in. Yeah. I'll, I'll give this a go. It doesn't work out. Oh, who cares? And um, it's not, not so much that blase, but you do see some of that on the lower end. Okay. So, it, so a couple of one is to just get an Amazon Ninja on your team to just be able to navigate all of the hurdles. Another strategy is to 
buy a brand that can be, you know, that, that has, and so what are the sort of the indicators that something is a, um, what are the assets that it would have or something like that, that a brand is stable all on its own or something like what, what do you look or recommend for that? Sure. So I'd go with who, who is the demographic? Who's the target market? So sometimes you'll see brands that appeal to one demographic and then they'll have five, 10 products that are fairly diversified selling to that, that consumer. And ideally something recurring or repeat purchase would give you some comfort. So if they've got subscribe and save on Amazon, let's say, and they have a lot of a high percentage of sales through subscribe and save that can actually um, give you some comfort there. If they've got subscription on their website, that's a great one as well. So there's recurring auto ship payments through the website. Mm-hmm. Then you can actually use some of that capital to the, the revenue you're bringing in to actually acquire more customers. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that's interesting. Okay. So that's what I'd look for is, is the demographic and then, maybe even your knowledge. So on the buy side, if you have some knowledge of a hobby, sport, uh, you're a mother, um, these type of things, you have kids, like whatever whatever lever you can pull, you know that demographic or you're willing to go and become that demographic or hang out with that demographic, mm-hmm. then you can figure out other ways to sell to them. Okay. And that's so experience in the field or a relation to the field that you have a deep understanding for. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, I think we've sort of dived into that quite a bit. I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot to talk more about your business. What are your, what are the businesses, uh, the price range of businesses that you do well in selling? What are your, um, your clients, uh, what, what price range are there? Yeah, we, we've talked about that a little bit, but what are they really looking for? And um, the price ranges of businesses you sell or you go after that are the bread and butter for you. Sure. So our whole, our bread and butter is seven and eight figure brands okay. and enterprise value. So seven and eight figures plus is, is our range. So that's, we only really deal with strategic, um, smaller private equity groups that are looking to acquire family offices and the like. So on the buy side, that's who we're dealing with. And on the sell side, we're looking for exactly what I was just talking about, brands that appeal to one demographic and they have some defensibility baked in. Even if the Mm -hmm. income is predominantly Amazon-based, they have more than just an Amazon sales. Uh, Amazon isn't the only reason they're selling, basically. So if the... Yeah, that's, that's who we're mostly dealing with. Is there any um, particular ways that you vet a business that's coming into you that's, I mean, you could look at all of those things, but is there any, is there any just telltale things that this is not a strong brand um, that sort of, you know, is a big red flag for you? Sure. And yeah, we do actually. Um, The biggest one is no no brand synergy in the products. So at some point along the way in the past few years, someone said creating a brand is just putting a different name on three different products, right? So you might have a a kitchen product, a sports product, and then a baby product. And if you put that 
as one name as the one baby product. Now you have a brand. Well, that's not a brand. <laughs> so yeah. that's what we, that's the typical thing that is the first red flag for us. The next is longevity. So how long okay. have they been in business? Yes. What's the product life cycle been? Do they constantly need to create new products to mm-hmm. or launch new products to keep growing? Now that is a, a part of most Amazon based businesses because of the competition through Amazon, you do need a regular release schedule, but the best mm-hmm. brands don't actually need to do that at a huge, at a really fast rate. So that's one thing that could be a red flag. It depends on the, on the business and what their growth trend is. So then you can look at also, you can look at all sorts of online tools for a lot of this stuff. One of the things we look at is keeper and you can see the price history of a product. So mm-hmm. that's very useful when it comes to look. also the, the number of reviews compared to other products. Amazon okay. are constantly cleaning this up and you may have heard recently there was another Amazon update for yeah. reviews. So a lot of res- reviews got wiped out. Um, some of them were manipulated reviews. Some of them maybe weren't, who really mm-hmm. knows, but that's, that's something that swept through recently. So if a brand has managed to be unscathed through these, these type of updates, that's a good sign, yes. you know, that there's, there's really passionate people, um, consumers buying the product or just people buying the brand and, and products in general. And then look for, we then look at the products themselves. How, how hard is it to source this product or mm-hmm. easy? So if you go on to Alibaba, AliExpress, can you find the exact same product and then just go source it yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, AliExpress is super easy. You, you order off, it's like Amazon, right? You just mm-hmm. order it, it comes to your door. So if, if there's no real barrier to entry, on the product itself, that, that could be a downside. It depends though. Sometimes if you have a really strong brand and your loyal fan base, they'll buy almost anything with your brand on it. So as long as the whole business isn't built like that, maybe there's some accessory products. There's a lot of brands do this. <laughs> so it's, it's quite yeah. normal for an a everyday type product to just be labeled as, as your brand. So that's, that's the main things we look for. Um, we also look for year over year growth. So okay. what are the trends of the business? Um, particularly at the moment, net margin trends. So we break this down. We look at everything on an annual basis. So we'll look at year over year growth and the trend, but we also break down the net margin monthly. Mm-hmm. And we look at it as a trend on the P&L. That's okay. what we do internally to see what the trend is. And right now with Amazon-based brands, you'll see... Um, both Amazon fees are increasing and also PPC competition is yeah. increasing. So if you're seeing um, on the P&L, if you're looking at this, if you're looking at a growth trend in revenue, but then a decline in that margin, always mm. ask why. But one of the reasons may be increased PPC competition. So if you have someone on your team or yourself that's really good with PPC, that's something that you can come in and say, hey, this, this business is somewhat on a decline. I want to put in an offer and structure it like this, but then have in the back pocket that you can actually probably improve the PPC performance and reduce the spend. Ah, yeah. I mean, you just, coming back to, you got to know, you got to at least have somebody that knows, or if that, if that is an angle you're going at, like a ninja and Amazon is an absolute must. Okay. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I like to stack when I'm when I'm investing after what I've you know the ups and downs that I've I've been through personally. I like to stack the deck in my favor. Oh yeah. <laughs> if I don't, I wouldn't look to buy unless I had an unfair advantage. So you want you want to come in with either way more capital 
to get cost efficiencies, expand mm-hmm. the product product line, have people on the team that are ninjas at different things mm-hmm. or you yourself, preferably all of those things is what you actually want to really succeed at this. That I, I think that's, that was very well phrased up right there. Just come in with an unfair advantage is how you make a, a fair deal, a great deal. So we, you spoke a little bit about longevity, and that was something I was curious about with, um, I guess Amazon's been around for a long time. So they have like businesses with, you know, large histories. What's sort of the, what's sort of the minimum of... I mean, I, you you did speak about working with like very strong brands and they might have sales before Amazon or something like that. What's sort of the minimum time period that you would say is a stable brand um, with Amazon and how it sort of fluctuates so so much? Sure. So there there is a product brand life cycle, especially mm-hmm. if they're launching via Amazon. This is what I've seen is typically the first year someone gets started, they're just figuring out what what product sells, what works, mm-hmm. what they can source, rank, and, and work with and make good margin on. The second year, they're starting to double down on what's working. And if they're smart, they're doubling down in that same demographic. Yeah. And then the third year, they can. it depends on the growth trend of the business. If they're expanding a lot in that second year, third year could get to the point where they either have too much of their net worth in the business, so they start to get a little bit concerned and think, Maybe I should take some cash off the table, but they really want to be optimizing in that third year for net margin to go sell in the fourth year. That's if we've seen this play out time and time again, the only time that doesn't play out if, if they're still aggressively growing in year three, four, five, which Mm -hmm. some of the bigger sellers are doing now they're doing eight, eight figures in revenue Mm -hmm. just by doing that. So they keep reinvesting in products. So that's an idea of, a life cycle. What you'll see if a brand has been around longer, you may actually see that over the last five, six years, the uh, the revenue percentage from their own sources versus Amazon. Amazon has just creeped up. In the US, it's, it's just under 50%. I think it's 45% of all retail, online retail is done through Amazon. So there will be an, a larger Amazon pos- portion across the board for the most part with product brands. So that's something that you can kind of keep an eye out for is how how that trend is changing and and what what are the owner's thoughts when you're going to vet a deal okay and so that's um that's still pretty three years is of history before is pretty traditional um for anybody looking at a deal in this space so that that i was wondering if you know they base it off of a much shorter time period but from what i'm hearing from you it's just not you you would you could do that I think you open yourself up if it's say under a year, you Mm -hmm. open yourself up to unnecessary risk on the buy side. So if, if you're coming in with more capital and you have a lot of experience and a team that does this, this is different. I'm talking about the average financial investor coming in. If you're, if you're looking at something that's been around nine months or a year and a half, it's still a year and a half. They're probably just figuring out what's working and they have Mm -hmm. doubled down on some things, right? So one thing we haven't looked at is, is product diversification. So we also look at at revenue per SKU or per product that they're selling. So if it's earlier the year or two, you're typically seeing one product as the hero product making all the income. So if there's ever an issue with that product, then with that one SKU, one listing, then a lot of your income is going to disappear overnight, right? 
Yeah. So that's another thing you want to keep an eye out for. Those the businesses at the two, three year mark typically have more diversification in products. Sometimes they can't. And that's a that could be a red flag or something to capitalize on if the if the mm-hmm. business is does have one hero product. That's either a liability or an opportunity, depending on what you're coming in yeah. with, right? But especially I'd be wary if the if the seller has tried a bunch of other products and it just didn't hit the same levels, that's a question you've got to ask. There's not always hundred percent blue sky with some of these smaller deals in the one, two, $300,000 mark. Maybe they've hit the top of their category as well. Maybe that's all there really is without really going sideways. Yeah. You just don't know at, at the smaller level if they've plateaued or if, and then the red flags and opportunities it's that, that I liked how you said that um, it can go either way, but once you get in the more unknown area, it's much more often red flags. Um, yeah, because you buy, there's that's how they'll pitch it to you. Oh, there's there's so many opportunities over here. We haven't even done this, or we haven't even done, and it's yep. um, over a certain amount. I I think that's a valid argument because they're they're you've got some wiggle room and everything. But okay. That was really in depth, and now I'm just you got me thinking on something, so I got to dial back down. And uh, I got some questions here that I wanted to go over um, specifically. Um, I'm I I think you you said I don't know how far you've gotten into my content, um, probably just a tiny bit, but I prefer um, my my thing that I've been in so far is off market deals. So I'm like a bad person. I usually just say brokers probably have something up their sleeve. Don't trust them. Just go find it yourself. <laughs> and people are like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, well, I can't help you. So um, how do you, how would you um, recommend somebody vetting? Cause um, it's not that it's not, sometimes they're just bad, but other times they're just not a right fit for you. It's probably the usual case. How would you recommend somebody vet a broker? Um, so they know this is the right person for them. Sure. Um, can I circle back to off-market deals? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I had a, a meeting with a private equity group here in Chicago last Friday, and we were talking about deal flow. Mm-hmm. And the their mentality on this is to only work with intermediaries, which is interesting. Really? They've been at this since private equity before private equity was actually an industry okay. so late late 70s they've been at this a long time had a lot of success mm-hmm. and they've actually paired back to not doing any direct off going for anything direct off market and the reason for that is a time money situation yes so if you it have a lot time. of time yeah. <laughs> if yeah, you have a lot of time and a lot of um it's, it's really like a sales approach. So mm-hmm. for selling, you need a lot, of, a lot of deal flow, basically. You need a lot to talk to a lot yes. of contacts before you get someone interested. Even less will be ready to go at, or reasonable on price. And then even less again will be ready to go financial-wise. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest hurdle we have with onboarding new clients is we get a lot of deal flow coming in. I talk to a lot of people every other day. I'm on calls with sellers, buyers, the works, right? All mm-hmm. the time. And I love it. That's why I love what I do. But yes. the from the time of someone saying, yes, I'm ready to sell my business to, to actually being able to take their business to market could be anywhere from the 
fastest we've had is four weeks because they had all their books ready to go and we just created the marketing that's package rare. for them. This, so everyone yes. knows that is rare. Um, that's super yeah. rare. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, no one knows their numbers basically. So or, the, yeah, yeah. the books people are using. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's another thing, actually. The biggest hurdle to someone, even once they present their books in a fashion that we could actually take to market, mm-hmm. anywhere from 30 to 50% less is what they're actually looking at. Not top line. Everyone knows revenue. You can look that mm-hmm. up easily. But the actual net margin, the, the net profit, the seller discretionary earnings that we try and figure out is really nuanced and always less than what someone thinks. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've got too much inventory. Maybe they've got deadlines in the product space, right? So there's a lot of things. So a broker's role is really to take, take a seller by the hand, walk them through how to prepare their business for sale, and then walk them through the whole process. Now, another thing you miss out with without dealing with a broker, mm-hmm. and this could, could be a good thing or a bad thing, is you don't have a buffer when you're negotiating. So not only when you're negotiating, but also through the diligence process, the handover, the transition. So off-market deals are great if you can get them. And if you have the time to go after it, mm-hmm. by all means. I mean, this, this is a whole industry in and of itself, off-market deals, right? Mm-hmm. Same in real estate, businesses, real estate, similar stuff. But it's a, it's a time and it's a numbers game. So I, I was actually just listening to your podcast mm-hmm. uh, before the call. I didn't finish it before we jumped on. But um, I saw myself in the first year of being in business, I ran my numbers and we were at about a 3% conversion rate from 3%. someone putting yeah. in a, asking for an evaluation to actually listing was 3%. And part of I that is why. because, <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it is, well, this is all I do. <laughs> so yeah. I'd hope it would be higher. <laughs> but um, so what, Part of the reason is we don't say yes to everything. We have yes. minimums, we have criteria, we, we vet things pretty heavily, and we don't have a massive um, team, facilities. We don't need to push deals through the door intentionally. We will get to that, um, get larger eventually, but right now we're just we're focused on doing the biggest high quality deals we can do and i'm always trying for the next deal to be bigger and bigger and bigger so that's my approach now how do you uh, does that help with off-market stuff yeah and i'll, and, I'll say one thing the, i'm i'm in one sort of deal that i closed and i interacted with 300 different businesses for that one so if the, yep. it, it's I can definitely attest to that, all of that, not just broker talk for, you know, just to say, hey, go get a broker. But it's really true, even from a guy that likes off-market deals. It's a ton of work, a ton of time. Ours took close to, I'd say, seven months to close, and they were ready. Like, they, we, we, when we talked to them, they were way, and I'm talking with, out of those 300, a lot of those are, two to three years away. So that's the other side of it that we just, um, it's all true. It's just, uh, I, th- I think a preference and, you know, in a cost benefit analysis. So, um, yeah, so that's just wanted to attest to that. And you weren't just, well, actually, born, but <laughs> no, well, actually that's a good point. Um, you're actually building an asset base there. Okay. So if, if you're looking to do one deal, yeah. going out and doing it yourself is insane. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to do hundreds of deals yes. and you're looking to raise a fund and, and you want to do this professionally, 
right? That you're actually building an asset right now. So for you, that makes a ton of sense. And you're getting a lot more one-to-one um, -one experience with the type of businesses that you're looking to acquire. So that's, that's absolutely awesome. You know, so it depends on what you're trying to do, but also don't discount that, that first go round. So it's I, like building some... first buying a business, you know, you get yeah. like, you use a, use a broker, you pay more upfront, you get the immediate results, you build the, your list yourself. It's like entrepreneurships when you start off with it, which is, it's it, which I just, just piece that together right now. And I'm like, ah, so that's, that's why it's taking so long. It's like entrepreneurship. Yeah. It just takes forever. Yeah. That's why I'm, everybody, I say, go buy a business. Don't start it. But yeah. So, <laughs> so okay. Well, yeah. that was, that was uh, introspective and uh, very enlightening right there. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely building an asset. You know, yeah. people that, that put their hand up for something. There was a study done uh, by mm -hmm. a, a firm that does inbound mark. Um, yeah. They, they put it, People put in, I'm interested in X, and they'll okay. send you out information. So there's a third-party company that does this for Fortune 500 companies and brands. And they did some research, and they found that in the first 90 days of someone putting their hand up to inquire about a product or interest in a product, only 15% of them will buy within the first 90 days. However, if you take that time frame out to two years, about 50% yeah. of people will buy quiet about something so if you have a longer time frame we're, we're tracking our leads so we've been around two years i've actually realized that a short time frame for us is a really bad idea okay. so i'm looking at a 10-year time frame really myself with my own leads so i'm okay. not i'm mapping it as we go along but i'm i'm not going to make too much of a judgment call until that 10-year mark and really see what the compounded return of our leads is at that point Okay. And that would make sense because it's what the business of, of brokerage is, it's got, um, I was wondering on like that lead time um, in 10 years, that's, a, um, that's interesting. And so, yeah, so I think let's circle back to the original question before we got on that. Yes. <laughs> How do you evaluate a broker? Sure. So there's, or how would are you, we talking you buy side? Are we, yeah, on the yeah, buy are we talking side. buy side? Yeah, not okay. no, um, sell side. Just uh, maybe yeah, how you've done it. In that the makes it easier. Or, yeah. That makes it easier. Or okay. Anything. So, yeah. So with, with brokers, um, on, on the buy side, you'll need to deal with a lot of different brokers to find the mm -hmm. type of deals you want. It's, exactly. There's something like 63 brokers worldwide with an Amazon-based business for mm -hmm. sale right now. So there's a lot, of, a lot of brokers, a lot of options, and a lot of listings. So one thing you'll notice is how much information the broker actually provides and what their sales process is. So you'll need to figure out what the sales process is, how to jump through the hoops. Some have more than others to actually get to the information. But what you want to do is build a relationship with the broker. So whoever you're dealing with at the brokerage, um, follow up with them and treat that like your business. So if you're wanting to acquire one brand, you really need to put some time into this. I would contact all the major brokers, get on their radar, provide proof of funds, whatever you can do to say, hey, I'm a legitimate buyer, I'm ready to close. Here's some transactions I've done before. Here's exactly what I'm looking for. You bring this to me, we will put in an offer. That's the type of stuff that you need to do. You need to be, because there's so many buyers that are just tire kickers, right? I actually mm -hmm. said to a, a private equity firm 
based out of New York, they, they were just looking at getting into buying product brands, selling via Amazon. They hadn't had committed capital yet. They said, if I prove the, the case, yes, we'll, we'll release the capital. And can I just see some deals? And I said, no. So to a very verified business, I said no, because I'm super protective of the brands that we're taking to market. And I don't want to spend time dealing with someone that has a very low chance of, of closing. Obviously, everyone has diligence and their own metrics that you only really see once you see the brand and you get some time to dig into the numbers. For sure, I get that. But you really want to make sure that you're legitimate going in. And also, the other trick when dealing with brokers is to get back to them really fast. Yeah. So if you get some information from a broker, thank them straight away. Yep, I got that. I'll get back to you as soon as I can with my thoughts and get back to them and give them detailed criteria feedback. So, mm -hmm. oh, I thought I was looking for this. This didn't fit and here's why. And you may think that, hey, I'm the buyer. I've got the cash. Why do I have to do all these steps? And I'm not saying this just for dealing with me, although that would be really nice. I'm talking in general. You really need fast feedback because we do deal with a lot of, a lot of buyers and a lot of tie kickers, like I was saying. So when you're getting started, it's standing out above the crowd and also providing some feedback, helping the, the broker out. If, there's, if you see any mistakes in the, the information, get, get back to them as well. Say, hey, this doesn't match or whatever. So as far as picking a broker, if you're on the buy side, you're not really picking a broker. You're really picking a broker if you're going to sell a business. And that's a different okay. story. But what, what I would say is learn the process for each broker and jump through the hoops and then be interactive with them, especially if something's not a fit. Sometimes you'll, I deal with buyers that have 20, 30 sims a day coming in. So information memorandums, mm -hmm. we've got 20 to 30 a day. That's a lot to get back to, right? So, but if you mm -hmm. get back to people, you'll, you, the broker will also help you find the type of deal that you're looking for. So right now we've got a deal we've been working on for maybe three, three months at this point, it's releasing next Monday. The list price will be around the $10 million mark. I have a bunch of buyers for this already. Mm -hmm. And that's because I know what I've got in the pipeline. And I also spend a lot of my time dealing with buyers and figuring out exactly what they want. So you can get on preview lists and the like, if you, if you give constant feedback quickly, then you know I would prefer a fast no than a, a maybe, and then two weeks later you're you're out, right? So that's that's one thing in dealing with brokers. Okay, so but I would I would deal with as many as you can because okay. you really want to see as many deals as you can when you're first starting out or when you're looking to acquire. You want to see everything. Okay, and so just to highlight that, um, make sure all the brokers know your funds are verified. That was one of the big things I saw is that's a very straightforward step that you either have it or you don't um, and make sure they know that. And then um, this sort of gets into the preferred list of buyers you have um, or the non-official preferred list. It's sort of just the buyers that you like dealing with. Try to get onto that. Is, is that do you have an official preferred list or is that, I, I know some brokers, they do, they're just like outright um, like, Hey, we sell the majority of our deals to these individuals right here. Cause they pay fast. They do, they're good. Everything's about them's easy. 
like everything, everybody else gets what they don't want. Um, or just like what doesn't fit them. So is, is that sort of a thing? I, I think that's a, a good thing to know if you're going to be a buyer in this field, that that's, is a, what's your take on like the preferred list and getting on there? And um, is that, a, am I just, is that a wrong assumption or is that rare? Yeah, it depends on the firm, I guess. So how we do it, we have a, we have a few tiers. Okay. So we have a registered buyer list. So anyone can come into the website and put in mm -hmm. some information about what they're looking for, what their budget is. And we've got about 800 and over 830 million now in capital available just to buy e-commerce brands. So that's, okay. that's one level. That's the base level. Okay. Then it's how, how engaged we've been with that person. So we, mm. we have a deal that comes out that fits criteria of say a hundred buyers. I reach mm. out to those hundred buyers and I'm kind of old school. I'll call them. <laughs> I'll yeah. call you and actually have a conversation. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. that's kind of rare. It's not all email. So if, if I can get you on the phone and we can have a conversation, then that's, that's great. We get to know each other a little bit. And once the more I know about a buyer, the, the more preferential treatment they'll get when we're launching something, not necessarily, okay. I wouldn't just release something to this buyer and, and n nothing else, right? We just ran a process with a really great brand that was completely off market, a 15 day process. So we only, we only offered this to a select group of buyers that okay. had the capital to close. The seller didn't want this to be, he preferred not to have a massive drawn out process. So we ran a, a short process we ended up getting two two offers and two backup offers that just couldn't get their offer in in time. They said, look, if anything doesn't work with them, come and talk to us. So that was quite interesting running running this process. And that was, that was just with our VIP buyers that have either okay. done deals before, we know they've closed other deals, they have the capital to move. They were all private equity, family office, strategic buyers only on that list. Because also with that brand, we wanted a specific type of buyer that had more capital to expand the product line mm -hmm. and take and capitalize on the brand that was actually built and the audience they had. It was a really interesting, it was just a great business basically. So I knew that, that everyone would want this business. So we ran a short process to do it. Um, so that's with us. We don't do that with every deal. Okay. Um, that was, that was a pretty special case. So you will, if you're on our registered list, you would see most of them saw that brand by the end of that process. So not the actual brand, but the, that we had it available. Right. So we went through a couple approaches there, but everyone has a, has their own way of doing this. Mm -hmm. The, the best buyers I like working with are the ones that say, how often should I contact you? I've had, buyers say this how often should i get back to you and take it as their job to follow up right so that that can be a way as a buyer to get more and more on the inside is to follow up more with what have we got going on how can i help you that type of stuff and um that's that's really how you get to the inside but every every brokerage will have their own version of that so just ask you know how what does it take and okay. typically what it would take is having capital, but more importantly, have closed deals. Okay. So ideally you want to get to that first deal pretty quickly to get taken as seriously as, as a serious buyer and in that specific um, vertical. So I've got a, had a couple of buyers recently that have a lot of transaction experience, but are new to Amazon e-commerce mm. and they're really 
taking their time to make a decision. They're sort of in and they're out. And that's, they'll get there eventually, but I know they're not a serious buyer ready to move forward. So I'll shoot them deals and we'll, we'll keep the conversation going, but I know they're not ready to close today. And there's a difference between being ready to close today and once a deal fits, obviously not just crazy person. Oh, anything. Yes. I'll, I'll bid. Let's go. But you know, having defining your criteria. So that's, if you're starting from scratch, that's how I do it is I'd get clear on what I'm buying, why, how I can improve it. Do I have the funds and then present that case to each broker and then spend time getting to know the brokers that are in whatever niche you're going after, whether it's product brands or SaaS or whatever you're looking at. If it's trucking companies, same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Okay. And so that's a great thing to really stress um, for people that, that come in with money. They usually think they're um, the special ones, um, but it's, you, you have to, it's, it's really about putting in the work, not being a tire kicker. Um, and those things that make you a, a preferred, uh, just better to deal with. And it's, it is a level of work. So that is, um, that's, that's really good to have iterated there. And, uh, yeah, and I think that a lot of people, they just, that if they don't have deal history, they just want to look at things. Um, you talked about that other firm that's like what just wants to get their feet wet. Um, where would you, um, is there anything you would recommend for people that are still in the tire kicking area to go for, I mean, it seems like the broke, when you're talking to the brokerage, you're kind of, you're looking for people that have already done deals or like been in the space where, where should people go um, when they're not ready? Like where do you wish they went before they came to you if they're not ready or anything like that? Have you thought about that? Sure. So it depends, I guess. Okay. Um, they can just listen to this being, podcast. That's I, I saw. Yeah. Don't worry about <laughs> no, it. No, I, I uh, guess, <laughs> I guess if people take some time to figure out where they're at, okay. um, and be upfront with that, say, look, I'm, I have this capital available. I'm mm -hmm. just starting to look at this space. Where okay. would you recommend? So I, I often recommend people go listen to some podcasts, do some okay. courses if they've never sold on Amazon before. And right now we don't really deal with newer buyers anymore. So okay. we're dealing with more professional buyers. So we don't need to actually worry about that so much. So ah. that's depending on what, what part of the process you're in. I'd also on the broker front, I'd also look at the price point that you're looking to buy in. I'd look for whoever has the most of those deals okay. and be upfront with the price point that you're wanting to spend because sometimes you know, our minimum list now is, is a million list price. Mm -hmm. So if you've got $100,000, I can refer you to other resources, but I can't really help you, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah, okay. that's something else to take into consideration. Okay. And that's, that, that makes sense if you're dealing with more mature buyers or more experienced that that would be, they're just naturally um, removed from that. So that, that, is, that is a good point. Um, and courses on Amazon getting actually integrated. You're not just an investor. This is businesses take work. That's a big, I, I think people don't really understand that you have to be knowledgeable to get into this space. Um, that it's not just a <laughs> stock or something like that. Um, that that's, that's a very good point to bring up. Okay. So yeah, I think we're, we're 
if we're going to have to talk more, it'll have to be on another episode. But I like to do at sort of the ends um, uh, of the episode, sort of a time capsule of where, what's your, maybe something new that you're trying out um, or new that you've been doing. What's your goals for it uh, for the next, for the maybe immediate future and long-term future, just so we can, when we do circle back, we can see how you're doing on it or, or maybe have some tangible things to, to pull from it. Yeah, sure. So right now we're working on a new service for um, business okay. owners to help them get prepped for sale. So that's a new process for us where, like we've mentioned, it's mostly about the numbers. <laughs> so taking people by the hand and saying, okay, let's okay. work together right from now until after you've sold. So that's, that's one of the biggest projects we've got going right now is how to help onboard sellers and get them ready for sale earlier than just being ready to list. So that's something we're working on. That'll be a, a paid service as well. And okay. that's a little bit new in the industry. I guess we're at the intersection of business brokering and mm -hmm. investment banking. So we've got a little bit of crossover there. So that's what we're looking to do is up the game, become more professional and actually provide more service than an average broker. So that's the main thing I'm looking at, looking to work on a new thing. And as far as goals go, I, I just want to do bigger deals. I have, okay. I have a goal of getting a piece of a billion dollar business mm. ex exit. So being part of a billion dollar transaction is one of my larger goals. So hopefully by the time we talk next, that would have already happened. But other, otherwise, I'm just stair-stepping into that. I'm doing every every time I can, I'm look going for a bigger and a bigger deal. So that's, okay. that's something personally I'm working on and for the brokerage. <laughs> okay. So that's, I would consider the billion dollar, not to be like rude or that's a longer term goal. I'm just assuming, or is that like, like you can taste it in a year or so where, where are you looking at that? Yeah. So I think getting the tricky part will be getting a, a founder that's got a business in that range and you okay. don't get many founders that have that are looking to exit a billion dollar company where i think that will actually come from is networking with the groups that are actually rolling up businesses okay. and then finding a buyer for them once they're ready to go to market so it probably will be a couple of years until okay. most of these groups are ready to sell on the other end so yeah that's what i'm i'm looking to do i'm playing three steps ahead of where i'm at right now Awesome. That's, that's really cool. And what, um, the, the new service that you're rolling out, how exactly does that function? Is it like a consulting or is it like courses? What's the sort of the medium that you're using for that? And how sure. long have you so, been doing it? Yeah. So we just launched that last week and okay. it's a, it's a done for you service. So okay. we'll pretty much, we'll vet a couple of things high level to make sure that it's it could be a fit for us to sell and then anywhere from six to 24 months ahead of time we'll onboard them and get them ready to go so a lot of that is is the bookkeeping side making sure that their numbers are up to date and moving forward every month we have a conversation with them about where they're at and give them a a snapshot of their business value month to month. And that's something that's, that's super valuable. You know, for us, it could take three to four months to get something ready to list mm -hmm. and go to market. So we re it's really a longer term play. So it's helping someone in that, in that limbo stage that no one's really helping. So there is a fee 
upfront for that. In most cases, it'll be refunded out of our success fee. So okay. it's, a, it's a deposit basically to start working with us. And that scales wow. depending on how big the business is and how much, how much um, of the back and forth we need to, to do. But then we'll work with all of the providers. We essentially build a deal team for each deal. Mm-hmm. And we'll be the go-between for that, for that seller looking to go to market. Awesome. That's, that's really, and so it is sort of, um, a, a precursor business to the brokerage business is, is that's, yes. that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And it's very straightforward. You get the numbers because <laughs> you put them together, um, the, yeah. the correct way. And that's, oh gosh, the, the amount of ridiculous numbers, um, that I've looked at is it, it's, that's a needed service. So that's really interesting. What does, um, what does your team look like right now? What, how are you, how many people are on your team and stuff? Cause it's sure. especially talking about the deal teams and those things. Sure. So we have internally, we have three and we're hiring a fourth. We have partners in the legal accounting, bookkeeping, um, sourcing finance <laughs> side as well. So we okay. use other firms that have M&A okay. experience to work with as part of our deal team. Okay. Yeah. And on okay. top of our internal team, yeah. In, cool. And so what's that service going to be? What's you, what are you, you just rolled it out um, a couple of weeks. What's it called? So it doesn't really have a name. <laughs> I was wondering that. I'm like, that's a yeah. name. under a month. It, it might not have a name yet. So, so yeah. it's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, there's that, no name for it yet. <laughs> That, that'll be it's essentially it's essentially just pulling back a little bit from when someone's ready to sign with us it's just a little bit before that um in reality it may actually be a longer time but yeah that's that's what it's for so i've talked to someone we we get an understanding we understand the business and then we'll engage as their as their broker but also going to market and we'll work with them until they're ready to go to market as well. So, which is critical. Yeah. And are you, are you reaching out to, is this a sort of a service that evolved out of, you just saw so many of the current people that you're talking with, they needed that, or are you going to, or is it going to be a majority of the, just, this is a needed service we, for the people that are coming in and they just need it anyways, or are you going to be mm-hmm. reaching out with this service as sort of a pull in? What sort of this? No. Yeah, this will be required for everyone listing with us moving Uh, forward. Okay. (laughs) For their own good. good. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That's and I was just wondering if it's a if it's a net sort of thing or if it's just like we don't want to, we can't operate or it's it's just impossible to operate with bad numbers or bad like you have to clean it up anyway. So, okay, that sounds really cool. Yeah, we'll have to. um, What are some major? Are, what's some goals you have with that specific service over the next uh, month or so, next two months, real short term? Yeah, so actually get some people onto it and okay. define define what the service is. So okay. we've got a sense of what it can be, but actually once we do a few of these, then we could standardize it a little bit more and make it ah. easier to onboard people. So it's actually just running it testing it improving it is the next the next thing okay yeah that's yeah. Cool. Well, well i'm glad i caught you at the 
it's always nice when we catch them right at the beginning and because it, then it pivots or it goes off or it does a very interesting follow-up interview. So yeah, we'll have to, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll have to get you back on and we'll talk about that. For sure. but, but yeah, so this, uh, it's been great today and awesome. uh, yeah, just, just one you. thing, sure. just one yeah, thing yeah, before yeah, I go. I'll Cause you, I, yeah, you, uh, I do have a, <laughs> I do have an appointment coming up, but um, the one thing I wanted to say before mm-hmm. we wrap up, if you, you know, the audience you're looking to build here is mm-hmm. buy side. So people looking to invest, one of the best books I've read on the buy side recently is I Love Capitalism by Ken Langone. Okay. Have you read this book? Nope. That's oh, you, man, you need, to, you need to read this book. He's the co-founder of Home Depot and ah. started out in investment banking and then moved into um, essentially raising capital, taking a piece of, now he owns pieces of multiple multi-billion dollar companies. And it's very inspirational. Um, and there's so many deal stories in there. It's, it's amazing. Uh, okay. So yeah, I'd well, highly recommend that. That's, <laughs> I'm yeah. Another uh, deal stories is my just drug. So that's, um, I'll, I'll definitely, you'll love it. Yeah, I, I definitely will. I can guarantee you that. Um, so yeah, that's that was my question. I forgot to ask is what thing you would leave the listeners with, and glad you jumped in there. So yeah, it's been um, been a pleasure having you on, and I'll let you go for today. But we'll we'll circle back around in some time period. But yeah, cool.